Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Well, as you heard, we're continuing now in this series uh, called The Trees of Christmas. And as we do so, I thought, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I love the fact I'm scheduled to preach today and I love to be here. But, you know, I thought, you know, it would be better for me not to do this sermon alone today, given what we're talking about. And so I've asked some friends to join me. And the first friend that's going to join me up front, her name is Daniela Blackburn. She attends here at MCC. She is a Messianic Jew. She's a graduate student in seminary, and if you think about this, when she graduates, she might very well be the first female messianic rabbi in our country. So it's pretty amazing when you think about that, huh? Yeah. She has a smile that lights up any room, and uh, she's been married to a guy named Sam for just over a year now, a wonderful guy. Will you please join me in welcoming Daniela Blackburn up here with me today? And then, this is somebody you've seen before. I love him. I love serving with him. I love how he loves people, how he loves the Lord, the next generation, how he loves just discipleship in general. Uh, again, please welcome with me here, DJ Dartanian Jamerson, along with us here this morning. And we're here to talk about Christmas, of course. Now, Christmas is a season filled with so many different images, which in one way or another, all point to the birth of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about this. When you take a look at just the first few chapters of the Gospel of Matthew or Luke, we easily find such realities as shepherds, angels, a star, magi, a king, a manger, and a baby. And yet of all the things that we reflect upon during the Christmas season, one very popular image seems to be missing from the Christmas narratives. And it's an image, it's something that we see every year. We gather around it, don't we? It's called the Christmas tree. And I don't know about you, but pretty much every Christmas, we have a Christmas tree in our home, except for the one Christmas I told you about last weekend. (laughs) I'm sure that you have a Christmas tree in your home as well. And the reality is that Christmas trees are everywhere. I mean, look around, they're in shopping malls, on Christmas televised specials. You see them in Christmas songs and in public parks. But where is the tree, the Christmas tree in the Bible? Well, if you missed last weekend's message, I encourage you to check it out online. I encourage you to listen to it because I launched this series and I began talking about kind of the history of the Christmas tree, which I think you'd find very interesting. But I also talked about trees in general. And there's one thing we learned last weekend as we kicked off this series I want to remind us of. It's something that a theologian stated that's very true. Think about this. There's a tree on the first page of Genesis, the first Psalm, the first page of the New Testament, and the last page of Revelation. Whether it is the fall, the flood, or the overthrow of the Pharaoh, every major event in the Bible has a tree marking the spot. That's huge. That means that there is a tree marking the spot of Christmas, the very place where Jesus was laid. Where is that tree? What is it all about? Well, in order to get there, we have to talk quickly about the trees of Israel. The first tree, of course, is the vine. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And a vine is a symbol of Israel's spiritual privileges. And then there's the fig tree, a symbol of Israel's national privileges. 
And then there is the olive tree, a symbol of Israel's religious privileges. And if you read through the gospels, you're gonna find Jesus referring to each of these three trees quite often. And yet it's the olive tree that really we need to focus on now as we talk about the trees of Christmas. Look at that tree. It represents a whole lot, and we're gonna talk about that this morning. One person noted this. They said the olive tree is probably the most frequently mentioned plant in the Bible. It was the most important tree in the Jewish culture because it provided so many necessities for their lifestyle. The olive tree was used for its fruit to eat, oil for fuel for their lamps, for medicinal and cosmetic purposes, and ceremonially in their temple functions for anointing and sacrificing. The wood was also an important fuel supply and was used in construction. The olive tree and the olive oil were considered a major source of wealth from the earliest of times in Israel. Because it was such an important part of their lives, here it is, the olive tree was often used by scripture writers in imagery to describe or depict various things about the Jewish people and their nation. Hold on to that, because that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, an olive tree will begin to produce olives after six to ten years of growth. And after an olive tree has reached full maturity, somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000 years old, when you think about that, it won't produce much fruit at all. And when that's the case, it needs to be severely pruned, cut back all the way down to the stump. But what happens is that a new shoot, a new root emerges and it produces fruit once again. And eventually you will see a brand new tree filled with life, filled with fruit. And it all starts from this, a shoot. And this common practice in, in Jewish culture has everything, friends, to do with the tree that we're focusing on now that relates to Christmas. You see, in the Old Testament, the, uh, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, was compared to an olive tree, an olive tree that God expected and desired to grow. That's why he watered it, he cultivated it, he, he dug around it, he pruned it, if you will, with the full expectation that it would bear fruit. Yeah. See, when Israel, the tree, didn't bear the fruit, because of their disobedience or their lack of paying attention to what God had instructed in them, the worshiping of other gods, he spiritually cut it down to a stump. Yeah, yet hope was not lost. No, see the prophet Isaiah, when you read Isaiah in chapter 11 and one, you find these words. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. See, the Bible mentions two key words right here. We see shoot and we see roots. Isaiah tells us where the shoot was sprout from. He tells us it will come from the stump of Jesse. Historically and biblically, we know as we look back that, that, that Jesse was the father of King David. And when we search the lineage of Jesus, we see that it leads us all the way back to King David, which brings us to the other term that's mentioned, and that's the roots. So the roots are the patriarchs of Israel's lineage, okay? You know them, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. These are the faithful forefathers of the Jewish people, the founders of God's people, if you will. And every Christian, Jen, every Christian, one more time for Danessa, every Christian <laughs> finds their origin of their faith in Abraham and the Jewish forefathers. So think about it this way. 
The stump represents the Jewish people, God's chosen people. Remember that. In Genesis 12, God calls Abraham to lead this powerful movement, right? Which would, would start with the Jewish people and then expand because of their hearts and their witnesses to do what God instructs them to do, Alex. Yet, while God called them to flourish and be merciful and, and graft in others and be inclusive of others, yeah, they chose to do something different. They stayed only to themselves. And that's why God cut them down to a stump. Okay? But God was not done. See, one day a branch would grow up from this stump and bear incredible fruit. That branch was the Messiah. He would accomplish everything the Jewish people were supposed to accomplish and purpose to accomplish, but even more. As a result of the Messiah's work, people from every nation and every tongue not only would feel welcomed, but then they would have the ability to be forgiven. See, truth is, Daniela, many Christians today completely miss this point. And because they do, many have subscribed to uh, a train of thought or a belief uh, called um, replacement theology. And for those that don't know, the belief of replacement theology, their position, Mike, is the New Testament church has replaced Israel in God's plan for redemption and restoration. Now, we know that that could not be farther from the truth, but because Christ's followers in the first century were actually believing this way as well, that caused the apostle Paul to write these words. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The promise Michael and the team were singing about and he read about a little earlier during worship. These words from the Apostle Paul go all the way back to the shoot mentioned in Isaiah 11. So we know where the shoot was sprout from, the stump of Jesse Luke. And we know what the roots represent, the forefathers of the Jewish people. So given this, I have a few questions and the answer. For you guys right now wouldn't that be great if your professor always gave you the questions then gave you the answers yeah yeah I know I'd love it so who is the shoot and who is this branch well Jesus that's who if you remember that Jesus's hometown was Nazareth and Nazareth comes from a Hebrew word uh, where the root word is Netzer so Netzer means a shoot or a branch so if you look at it this way, Jesus comes from a town, he's the stump of Jesse, but he comes from a town uh, in Israel known as Shootsville. Uh, and it's Christmas time, there are no Grinches around, but it should not be confused, Laura, with Whoville. Okay? Um, in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2 and 10, it says this. It says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, plural. The nations, plural, will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. So long before Jesus was born on what we identify as Christmas, the prophet Isaiah foretold of that first Christmas day, a day when the descendant of David would be born into the earth, a shoot of Jesse, the savior of the world, just as God had promised King David. 
and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And that's why when the angel appeared to Mary and foretold of Jesus' birth, he said these words. He said, the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. So over the ages, there have been many different masterful art pieces that have depicted this story and what it means and, and what's there. They're going to put some, uh, an image on the screen for you. And that's a tree. It's a unique tree. It may seem a little strange, but if you look down there at the bottom, you'll see the word Jesse, the stump where all of this sprouted from. Isaiah will go further to build upon the theme where he would later write more about Jesus, the stump of Jesse. Remember, Pastor Phil referenced this uh, briefly last weekend. He said he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. As we, last learned, as we learned last weekend, uh, these words were written uh, seven centuries, if you will, before that first Christmas night in Bethlehem. The words speak strongly and powerfully about the birth of Jesus, the Savior of the world. Here, Jesus is described as a tender shoot a young sapling of great promise and delicate stature. Jesus was also described as a root out of dry ground, a tree filled with life in a season of great drought. That's another series all by itself. Prophet Isaiah describes Israel as a tree with a bleak future. Why is that, you say? Great question. See, previously, God had told Isaiah to proclaim judgment on the Jewish people because of their disobedience. Everything they were called to do, they opted to do something different. And like many of us, they chose disobedience rather than holiness. Holiness is still right. Due to their sins, scripture tells us this. It says the holy seed will be the stump in the land. It was at this juncture where hope seemed lost and Israel was trampled and, and, and beaten down to and like a stump. The Bible tells us this. He grew up before him. Jesus was revealed to Israel from his birth through his death. The Gospel of Luke says it this way. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in the favor with God and man. I love that. And so from the moment of Christ's birth, through his years as a curious child, I mean, through his teenage season of learning and ultimately through his adult years of ministry, Jesus was revealed to Israel over and over and over again in a variety of different ways. Through his character, through his love, through his healing, through his words, through his teaching, through all of his truth. And yet despite all that Jesus, this tender root, would do to change the world, every facet of our world, Isaiah actually predicted our human response to him before he was even born. That he, Jesus, was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. And so what began as a tender shoot, a root out of dry ground, would grow up to be despised and rejected by his own. Think about this. Jesus, the very root of Jesse, would be forsaken by the very ones who would claim the same Jewish roots as Jesse. And that's why Paul then paraphrases the words found in Isaiah 11 this way in Romans 15. 
For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. Jesus Christ, the one will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will find hope. In Jesus Christ, the root of Jesse, they will find hope. And who are the Gentiles? Well, anyone who isn't a Jew. And that's pretty much almost all of us here. So how will we find hope? Because remember, as DJ said, as the seed of Abraham, the children of Israel had been called by God to be separate, to be holy. In fact, they were called to be a light to the Gentiles, declaring the light of God's love to them. They were to embrace them in as their own in order that they might find God. But in response, they were enamored with their foreign gods. And so they they were cut down to the stump down all the way. And yet Jesus, the root of Jesse, would rise up and he would invite Israel to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when he announced himself who he was, he was rejected by them just as Isaiah had predicted. And so Jesus was sent to the cross and he died for us and he rose again. And then just before he ascended and went back to heaven, he met with his disciples. And what did he do? He commissioned them to bless the nations by preaching the gospel to all nations. Earlier, Pastor Phil mentioned that as an olive tree ages, it often goes through a pruning process. This is because when it gets very old, as Phil said, it stops producing fruit. So in this case, the farmer would cut back the branches, even to the stump, to allow the new shoots, as we saw in the image, to begin to grow for the purpose that it would be again producing fruit. This pruning process happened multiple times throughout the history of the Jewish people, and we read about it in both the Old and the New Testaments. Paul talks about one such pruning process in Romans 11, using the visual of an olive tree. He writes in verses 17 and 18a, if some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Here Paul is referring to two completely different types of branches. The natural olive tree branches, Israel or the Jewish people, and the wild olive tree branches, the Gentiles. You know, oftentimes when I hear this verse preached on, uh, it's sometimes preached on from a perspective that the Israelite branches that are being broken off is God completely breaking with the Jewish people, that he is taking them away and then restarting with the Gentile church. Mm But when we read Romans 11, Paul actually addresses this directly in the beginning of the chapter before he even gets into this depiction of the tree to negate this. He says in verses two through five, God has not rejected his people whom he knew beforehand, clearly meaning the Jewish people, or do you not know what the scripture says about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Adonai, they have killed your prophets and they have destroyed your altars. I alone am left and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So in the same way, also at this present time, there has come to be a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Paul's making a few very important points here. First of all, when he uses the, the words according to God's gracious choice, he's making a statement that this is intentional, that God is continuing a relationship with the Jewish people, that this is not an end. 
So then what does this mean about the pruning process? It doesn't mean that the pruning process is just a cutting away or a severing of that relationship. It means that it's a method of preservation of God's relationship with the Jewish people and an act of his divine mercy. And that's take us to the second part of that verse. So what does it say about the wild branches? They're grafted in. What does grafting mean? Grafting is the process of taking two plants and joining them tightly together so they grow together as one. It's an act of unity. Now, both of these branches, what does it say also? That they're receiving nourishment from the same root. And who is this root? It's Yeshua, as I call him as a Jewish believer in Hebrew, or Jesus. Jesus tells us this in John 15, one and two. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So here we see the purpose of Paul writing this passage in Romans 11 is to illustrate the fact that he's cutting away the branches that are not bearing fruit, the branches that don't have faith, not following the Lord, and then he is grafting in the wild olive branches for the purpose of then strengthening the tree. This whole purpose is to create more life in the people of God. Now, DJ mentioned the term replacement theology, which teaches that the church has replaced the Jewish people. But as we see in this passage, clearly that's not true. The joining of two groups together should be more encouraging to us. And an act of unity, as opposed to an act of cutting away, should be so Uh, encouraging to us as believers because it tells us that God will never send us away. He will never cut us off for our disobedience. He will never abandon us as a community, as a church, as families, or as individuals, regardless of our stubbornness. In Philippians 1.6, it says, I'm sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Messiah Yeshua. We also know that pruning can be a painful process. You know, when we think about the moments in in the history of the Jewish people when they were pruned, they were often moments of great devastation and destruction. We think about the, the fall of the first temple, the Babylonian exile, and now close to the time that Paul would have written these words, the destruction of the second temple and the expulsion of the Jewish people from their land. Now, applying this to our own times, you know, the pruning didn't stop with this one instance. God is always pruning us. He's always looking for us to be producing fruit as a body and as individuals. And we look at our own times and we see war, we see destruction, we see people warring against each other. Are we really supporting? Are we, are we being supported by the root? Are we supporting each other equally as branches in this tree? Well, the second part of Romans eleven eighteen says... Do not consider yourself superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root. The root supports you. Here, Paul is encouraging believers in Rome to embrace humility towards one another as opposed to thinking more highly of themselves. He's encouraging them to seek unity in the body regardless of differences. It reminds me of in Luke 10 when Yeshua, or Jesus, answers a Torah scholar And he tells him that right at the top, we need to love our neighbors as ourselves. And in addition, as his interpretation of that, he says, do this and you will live. Paul was trying to encourage believers in Rome to fully live through acting in unity. So we see that there's a direct connection to loving others well and experiencing the fullness of life. 
Loving your neighbor well is directly connected to us producing fruit as believers. I find at Christmas that people are generally willing to lend a hand to those in need. But what about the rest of the year? Whether it's a physical need, a spiritual need, an emotional need, or simply a need to be silent, present, and listen. Are we aware? Are we engaged? Are we listening? Are we as believers fulfilling the call to love our neighbor? Are we producing fruit? In addition to pouring out to our neighbors, are we taking time to pour into our own hearts and growing in our relationship with God? You know, there's a prayer in Judaism that we say as we are putting away the Torah when it's read each week, putting it into the ark. Um, it's called the Etz Chaim. You gotta get the Cha in there. You know? um, Etz Chaim translates, Etz means tree, and Chaim means life in plural sense. The translation of this prayer reads, it is a tree of life for all who hold fast to it and to all who uphold it are blessed. Its ways are ways of pleasantness and all its paths are peace. So here another depiction of the tree in Genesis, the tree of life, is telling us that the word of God is the literal oxygen to our spiritual lives. So therefore we need to be both pouring into our lives in order to pour out and produce fruit. It's a twofold process there. In that way, we're a bit like trees ourselves. Now, if we think of ourselves as a Christmas tree and all of us are branches on there, what happens when trees and branches are not properly watered if they're not receiving nourishment? The needles start to drop and the tree starts to die. Perhaps if I looked out here and imagined each of us as branches on a tree, some of us would look like branches that have barely anything left, maybe like the tree from Charlie Brown. Many of us are tired. The last few years have been challenging. We've experienced struggles in families, in congregation, in community, in jobs. We might struggle to see God working in those situations. We might struggle to see that God is also pruning us in those moments. We might struggle to hold on to hope that God has a plan for reconciliation, that he has a plan for life in those moments. I stand with you in that struggle. But in those moments when we feel our hope start to fail, let us be encouraged by the story of the Jewish people, by the story of Israel, that just as God never abandoned them, he will never abandon you in anything that you go through, no matter how desperate the situation. He never will cut down to the start and start over. He's always looking to create new life in each of us and in our communities. You know, one thing I always loved about Christmas trees are the ornaments. Um, and when my husband and I got married, my mother-in-law, she gives her children an ornament for each year of their life. And so when he looks at the ornaments on her tree, it's not just, you know, cute little things that sit on our tree. It encapsulates his story. And, it, and the good moments and the bad. And I think it's that way for a lot of families when they look at their tree. It's the story of a whole family right there in these little ornaments. So I think this year at Christmas, when you're looking at your tree, let those ornaments be a story of God's faithfulness to you, how he's delivered you through good moments and difficult moments. And for those of us who don't know the Lord yet and don't have a personal relationship with God through the acceptance of Jesus or Yeshua as the Messiah, perhaps looking at those ornaments on the tree stand as a record of God's faithfulness that maybe you didn't recognize up until this point, that God's been waiting for you 
to answer the call and be grafted into the tree together. Wow. I love it. Love it. Amazing. So this Christmas, as you consider shepherds and angels and the star and the magi, the king and the manger, you should no longer wonder where the Christmas tree can be found. Yeah. See, there's a tree at the first page of Genesis, the first Psalm, the first page of the New Testament, and the last page of Revelation. So whether it is the fall, the flood, the overthrow of a pharaoh, there is a tree marking every significant spot in the Bible. So what tree marks Christmas? A tree that started as a tender root. And yellow's going to come help me. A powerful shoot that came from the stump of Jesse that was birthed in the manger of Christmas. A tree that's grown enormously and continues to grow through the work of Jesus on the cross. That through his resurrection, that we can now be engrafted in where we have a brown branch. Yeah, we've got brown branches. We've got, we've got black branches. We've got white branches that they're grafted in. They're connected to what's already there, and now they can respond in fruit. We have Jewish branches, and we have Gentile branches. There may be others, but all these branches are rooted now in Jesus. They're receiving the same nourishment that Jesus was already destined to give to the Jewish people. But it's all for his glory. So Jesus made it possible for all of us to be a part of a multicultural, multinational tree that will stand forever, Steve. It'll stand forever. In light of this, how should we respond internally and externally? I know you were waiting on some practical things. <laughs> so I've got some responses for you. So here's an internal application that we all uh, should consider, Mary Ann. We should take a moment and consider our own pruning. And we should consider any selfish tendency in our own hearts. We should consider any form of internal pride that seeks to minimize others. We should consider any unforgiveness that may be robbing us of life, and we should consider any bias that would lead us down the road to discrimination. And then we should pray this daily. Prune me, Lord. Prune me so that I will bear even more fruit. And that more fruit will result in more people being attached and connected and engrafted into you. Prune me so that this tree, the tree of me, as a representative of you, continues to grow stronger and larger and taller and wider. Prune me, O oh Lord, for only you are my source of life. And when we embrace this kind, that kind of humility... It allows us to stand in a place where we can truly and rightly be pursuing eternity with the Father. In order to do this, we have to ask ourselves, here's your external application. How many different colored branches do I seek to engage following today's worship service? 
How many different color branches do I call my friends? How many different color branches might I invite into my home for dinner in 2023? I got an invite right after this morning service. I did, really. So friends, see, Jesus went to the cross, that tree on Calvary, so that people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation could be a part of his incredible multi-ethnic tree. It would be best for us to cherish that and to operate as he would. And because Jesus values every person, no matter where they come from, we should absolutely follow suit. We live in a world that is increasingly denying Jesus, rejecting Jesus. There may be some listening now in this room or watching us online that uh, you're struggling and you're being faced with uh, that conviction right now by the Holy Spirit. But you may not be sure how to find your way to him or back to him. Well, I'm going to let you know. That anyone who first rejected Jesus can be forgiven by Jesus and grafted in by Jesus. Anyone. How many? Who does anyone include? Anyone. <laughs> so two final questions for you. Have you been grafted in? Do you know? Do you know Yeshua? Do you know Jesus? If you don't, you can know him today. Right, Aaron? They can know him today. Pray with me. Father, we honor you and we bless you and we thank you for, in spite of all things, this is a day that you have made and we are rejoicing and we're glad in it, Father. We pray a prayer of, of repentance even now, Father. We turn away from the things that would separate us from you, Father. We ask that you prune our lives and prune our hearts, Father, and cut us away from the things that would keep us from fellowship with you, that would keep us from relationship with you, Father, that would keep us from being the best representative of you that we can be, Father. Cut us away from those things. Prune us, Lord, today. And forgive us for the places where we've misstepped. Forgive us of the places where we've simply been disobedient, Father. Forgive us of those places where we have not been welcoming and we've shunned those that you love. But we say we love you. Help us, Father, to be better. And we thank you and we honor you. And we love and we worship you for hearing our prayers. And watching our steps as we move and turn away from. Repentance, we know, Father, means to turn away from so help us to turn away. Give us strength to stay on that path and that we walk in the way you'd have us to go. So we forever will be in your will for us and that we never get in your way <laughs> as you seek to do so much in our lives. We love you and we bless you. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.